And so, uh, like I said, so last week, what we looked at is we looked at just uh, how we can pray and how we can have peace in the middle of any sort of circumstances, that, that regardless of what happens, we can have a peace that is beyond understanding. Know that we can truly experience the peace of God because we now have peace with God and how that is a beautiful thing, how we can have a peace that is beyond all understanding, beyond all comprehension, that is beyond anything this world could throw at us. And so what I want us to look at tonight is now that we have this peace with God and this peace of God, then how should we now respond to that? How should we now live that out. And so last week, this week, and next week, I just wanted to be a time of us to look at how do we as Christians in kind of this weird, unprecedented just times uh, that can be so troublesome and worrisome to many others, uh, how can we as Christians respond properly in the middle of this? And so what I want us to look at tonight is I want us to look at a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2 about how we are to live out this peace that we have with God now. So if you have your copy of God's Word, if you want to go ahead and open it to 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. That is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Seven. Like I said, it's times like these where it can be so worrisome and we see uh, people around us where, where people can just be so selfish on things. Like I said, like people as silly as it may be hoarding toilet paper, people looking at the stock market and kind of freaking out about what's going to go on because they're placing uh, their livelihood in that or 401ks or things of that nature. And, and like I said, we can have peace with God and a peace of God through that. And so what I want us to know is, as we see all these different changing circumstances around us, how as we as Christians can be just a, a light to those around us, how we are to respond to that and live out this peace that we truly have. Because what I want us to understand tonight is this, is that this gospel message that we truly believe in, it commands us to go tell others about Christ. It goes tell others about Christ because it is only by the power of the gospel that people can be saved. It is only by the power of the gospel that people can be saved. And it's the power of the gospel, the grace of it, that compels us and commands us to go out and tell others about this beautiful message of grace and mercy and hope and peace and restoration and reconciliation. But uh, that, that wages war against us with what our hearts naturally want to do. As, as we, as, as fallen, sinful human beings, we're prone to, to worry about ourselves. And, 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 but the gospel shatters that mentality. But again, we're prone to want to worry about ourselves and focus on ourselves and what's best for us and make sure we're okay. But what I want us to look at tonight is that the gospel shatters that mentality of, of now that we have peace with God then we want to now go out and tell others about how they can truly have this peace with God, how we are to truly proclaim the gospel to those around us. So like I said, we are going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray real quick. Dear Lord, just as, uh, as we dive into your word tonight, I pray that you will free us of any distractions around us, that you will free us up from our phones or what may be going on on social media Free us up from just the news or just other things that could grab at our attention. Free us up from distractions of just uh, friends or other things. And I pray just in this time, Holy Spirit, you will just calm us. You'll help open up our hearts and eyes to see what you have to teach us, to receive what you have to teach us tonight, to understand what you have to teach us tonight. And I pray we're able to then in turn go and live that out only by your power and only by your grace. So by that same power and by that same grace, I pray for me, dear Lord, that you will just hide me behind your cross, hide me behind your word, and just let your word speak for itself and point people to Jesus and not to myself, that it is your words and your truth that is truly grasped and understood. And anything that could be my opinions or thoughts, I pray, will be forgotten and not remembered, but only your beautiful truth, which sets us free. And I pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. Okay, so what Paul is giving us in this time is Paul is saying there is three ways that we are to proclaim Christ to those around us. That there are three main ways we are to proclaim Christ to those around us and advance the gospel. And the first one is this, is we are to pray for others. We are to pray for others. Others. Look at what it says in verses 1 to uh, the first half of verse 2, where it says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Uh, so the backdrop of what Paul is saying is just a few verses prior to this passage, Paul is giving his testimony in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17, how he's saying this grace that Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst of them, that this grace is for the worst of the worst sinners. And it is that same grace that we are to look at, that same lens we are to look at as we read through these seven verses, that that same grace that if we have truly received, we are to view it through that and how that compels us to see others and proclaim Christ to others. And the first one is this, is that we pray for Others. That's why it says, first of all, then I urge. What that means is that, first of all, it's, it's an emphasis just on the importance of it. It might not mean, okay, a timely thing or, or a time in or this is how you're supposed to do things in a certain order, but instead just saying, okay, this is important of how we are to do this. This is important of how we are to do this. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made. And so kind of what do these prayers mean? Because that's four different ones. And so to kind of break down what those four mean is supplications, as we saw last week. Supplications is, is just a, a deep need that we have. It's an earnest and urgent request made to God out of a deep 
need. The second one is prayer, as it says. Prayer, and what we saw last week is prayer is calling God to come through on his promise. So it's a request made to God to come through on his promise. Uh, intercessions, it says. Intercessions, that is a formal request or message uh, made to a king. So we are interceding. We're standing in the gap between us and someone else. We are to make intercessions for people. And then thanksgiving, which is the act of expressing gratitude or expressing appreciation to someone. And one thing we can be truly thankful for is that we can pray to God that we can pray to God, that we can come before his throne with boldness and humility by the power of the gospel. And so what he's saying is that there is no ground of prayer that is missed. There is nothing that is missed. And so that leads into the second one. Okay, if we are to have uh, supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings, who are these prayers to be made for? And it says in the next part of that verse, be made for all People be made for all people. So we are to have all types of prayers for all people. That leaves no one out from all people. That means from the emperor all the way down to the slave. It means for everyone that no one is outside of the reach of prayer of whom we are to pray for. No one is outside the reach of God that we are to make truly an importance of prayer in our lives an importance of prayer for all people. And so I want to ask us this, is who are the people in your life that you need to pray for? Who are the people in your life that you need to pray for? Or are there people in your life that you feel maybe undeserving or, or, or uh, unworthy of, of prayer? Maybe those people that, you, that we have a grudge in our hearts towards or that have wronged us at some point or people we feel are too far gone from Prayer, or how much emphasis do we truly put on prayer? How much is prayer a daily routine and rhythm and habit of our lives? Is it something that we just pray as just kind of a transition period between worship songs and sermon and things like that? Is, is prayer just something we do before a meal to bless it? Or is it just something that is a natural habit of ours that we are praying without ceasing? Not saying that those are not important or those are bad that we pray in between songs or, or before a sermon or before meals. I'm not saying that, but how much of an emphasis do we put on prayer and the importance of prayer in our lives? Because here's the thing. We saw last week that our knee-jerk reaction to things should be to pray. That when things happen, we should pray. That, that when people uh, are in trouble, we should pray. Then we hear about different things on the news, we should pray. That should be the natural response for us as believers. And like it says, we are to pray all kinds of prayers for all people. Because here's the thing, prayers for all people, it widens the vision of our soul. It widens the vision for our soul. And when we start not just praying for ourselves, but, but look up and look out and pray for those around us, what it does, it helps us see as God sees. It helps us see people as God sees people. It's uh, just as Matthew 9, 36 to 38 says, where, where Jesus looked up and saw the crowds. He looked up and saw the crowds and he felt compassion for them like sheep without a shepherd, that when we truly start praying for others, our hearts will truly start to care for others. 
that this backdrop of the grace that Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst of them, that if we have that view, then that should compel us to pray for all people, knowing that all people are in need of grace. Prayer is something else. Prayer unites our hearts with God. Prayer is something where we're communicating with God and we're talking with God, we're listening to God, and, and we are uniting our hearts with His. We are aligning it with Him. It shapes us more into the person Christ has called us to be. That when we understand this grace that Paul talked about in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17, that then it compels us to pray for other people with earnestness, that it urges us, that we naturally just want to pray for other people. And so not only does it say for pray for all people, but it even goes specifically of other people where it's to pray for. In the first half of verse two, it says for kings and all who are in high positions. And so it's important to understand that God is the one that established and instituted government. And so since he established and instituted government, then government is important to God. And Paul tells us to pray for those who are in high government roles. Now, I want us to understand something about this time that Paul is telling these people, hey, pray for those that are in high government official positions. That during this time, the emperor of Rome during this time was Nero. And I mean Nero, I mean, was very hostile towards Christians. He was very hostile towards Christians, persecuting them severely. And Paul is saying, hey, pray for these people that are in high government positions. Pray for the kings and all who are in high positions. So yes, God still calls us to pray for these people too, that we are to pray for those people that are in high government positions, like the president of the United States, like the vice president of the United States, those in Congress as well, that we are to pray for these people, that regardless of how we view their policies, regardless of how we uh, our views towards them, regardless of, of how we understand their ideology or what it is, we are to pray for these people. We are to pray for them. I know right now, just in this, in this climate where, where everything can be just so political and everything can be just so hotly debated in tense times, that it can be difficult, but we are to take a step back and just understand that these people are made in the same image of God as we are and that they are just as much in need of the grace of Christ as we are. That Christ died to save those people just as much as he did for us. And as the gospel says, and as this passage says, we are to pray for all people, for kings and for those in high positions, that we are to make supplications for them, that we are to make prayers for them, that we are, we are to make uh, intercessions and thanksgivings toward these people. And so, so why are we to pray for these government officials? So if we are to pray for others, but like it says, pray for other officials, then, then what does that mean? And that leads to the second point that we're to pray for others. And now that leads to the second one. The second main point is this, is we are to live out godly lives. We are to live out godly lives. Like it says in the second half of verse two to verse four, it says this. It says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the 
truth. So why do we pray for the government officials? Because government officials have a direct impact on whether or not Christians are able to live a quiet and peaceful life. That this quiet and peaceful life is is what, what it means to be calm in the midst of social affairs. To be calm in the midst of social affairs. And let's face it, we face many social affairs right now. That we are living in a rapidly changing moral landscape. And that we are to be calm in the midst of this, or even the middle of this social affair, as we hear different stories of just the coronavirus. We see different things of the stock market going up and down every single day, that we are to remain calm in the middle of these things. Because here's the thing, a government that benefits all people is the greatest ally to help advance the gospel. Then it creates these avenues for us to be able to share the gospel openly. It's the greatest advancement for the gospel. But because here's the thing, God's plan is for the evangelization of the nations. That when there is a sense of calmness, that is what is best uh, being able to breed what is called a godly and dignified life. That we're able to have a quiet and peaceful life. Being able to do that, that can lead to a godly and dignified life. And so what is a godly and dignified life means? Godly means a religious devotion, this devotion to Christ. And then dignified, it's, it's a seriousness of purpose or this high standard of morality. That there's these times of calmness that can help us live out these quiet and peaceful lives that can help breed this godly and dignified life we live. But at the same time, it is, it is during uh, times of, of hostility or difficult times that can also, uh, that are truly intensified and focuses on that, that truly pressures us. Are we going to live a godly and dignified life regardless of what the landscape around us looks like? That regardless of maybe difficult and hostile times, troublesome times, are we going to continue to still live a godly and dignified life? Are we still going to remain devoted to Christ during these times? Are we still going to be serious about our purpose of living for him? So I ask us this, as as the moral landscape of the United States rapidly shifts, will we still stay calm and continue to stay devoted to the Lord? Or will we compromise and look more like the world? How serious do we take our faith? How serious do we take our faith to be able to live it out on a daily basis? As it says in this verse, that being devoted to Christ and be serious about our faith is what is good and pleasing in the sight of God. Like it says, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every Way In every way, in every aspect of our life, we are to be devoted to Christ, to give it over to him and live out one that lives out our faith on a daily basis in all areas of our life. And it says this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. It is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. And that should be our ultimate standard for how we live our lives. That, that in what we say and what we do and how we live and how we act, every area, every way of our life should truly be pleasing and good in the sight of our God. So I ask us this, does our lives look more uh, pleasing in the sight of God or in the sight of man? Because there is no in-between on this. Either our lives are pointing people to Christ or they're pointing people away from Christ. There's no in-between. And as this says this, that we are to remain devoted to Christ in these times. We are to remain devoted to Christ in these times. 
Our lives should point people to Christ because like it says next, here is why we should point people to Christ. Here is why we live peaceful and quiet lives. Here's why we live godly and dignified lives. Not only is it pleasing in the sight of our God, not only is it good in the sight of our God, but the next part is this, is God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That our lives should point people to him because God desires for people to see him and for him to save others. Now, what I want us to understand is this, is that there is no issue with the sovereign will of God. God can save anyone that he desires. But what he's doing is he is subjecting this to our willful responses, to our willful responses to then go out and proclaim Christ to others with the lives that we live, praying for others, living this godly life that points people to him, a life transformed by grace. So here's the thing. God can save anyone he desires, and we are to pray and intercede on behalf of others for God to come through on his promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord that whoever repents of their sins and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We should live a life that is represented by that, a life of ours that has repented of our sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that has been transformed by his grace, that then turns out and goes out and lives that out in our daily lives. Because here's the thing, if we are praying to God on a regular basis, if we are praying to God, like I said, praying to God is uniting our hearts with his. It is aligning our hearts with his. That as we pray more to God, then, then his desires become our desires and become more like he has called us to be. And so his desires will become our desires and God desires for all people to be saved. And so that will compel us to live for Christ. That will compel us to point others to him because again, that is the heart of God. So I ask this, how can others come to know Christ if they don't see Christ in us? How can people truly believe in Christ if we aren't living for him? Do our lives reflect a heart that has been transformed by the immeasurable grace of God that comes to save sinners, of whom we are the worst of them? But it doesn't just stop there. That, that yes, we are to pray for others. We are to pray all kinds of prayers for all people. That, yes, the second thing is we are to live out this gospel. We are to live out this grace. We are to live out our faith in every way. But then the last thing is this, and this one is so important that it leads us to our third and final main point, which is this, is we are to preach the gospel. We are to preach the gospel. Here's what it says in verses 5 through 7. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And so what I want us to understand this is what Paul is doing is Paul is going back to the basics of the gospel, that he's going back to the basics of what we are to proclaim, that if we, okay, if we are to not only pray for others and we're to live this out, then what are we supposed to truly proclaim? And so he makes it very simple. It says, this is the gospel. This is the basics of it. And so how I would, uh, an illustration I would give for this is uh, way back in the 1960s, for those of you that love football, there was a head football coach. Uh, for the professional football team, the Green Bay Packers, called Vince Lombardi. 
And so the Green Bay Packers just played a just very difficult game, and, uh, and they lost in a very bad fashion. They're going to the locker room, and they're, they're just waiting for, for Vince Lombardi to just scold them or do whatever. And he goes into the locker room, and he grabs a football, and he picks it up and says, Gentlemen, this is a football. And it kind of sounds weird to think about, okay, why, why go back to this? Why say this? And, and he wanted them to get back to the basics of what they're to know and what they're supposed to do. And it is the same thing for us that Paul is saying, ladies, gentlemen, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is what we are to proclaim. It is this, uh, that, that Christ, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus, who is a ransom for all. Because it is important for us to get back to the basics of what we believe and what we are to proclaim. Because right now in this day and age, it seems like the main thing is tolerance. The main thing is tolerance. So it's important for us to understand what we believe in and stand firm in that belief. Another very prevalent thing in these days is relativism. That, okay, that's your truth. And this is my truth. And that it, everything's just kind of just different paths leading to the same mountaintop. But what we're supposed to do is we are supposed to stand firm and understand what we are to believe, which is this, that no, there is only one mediator between God and man. A mediator being like a negotiator who acts as a link between two groups. That Jesus Christ is the only one who can negotiate for our salvation. That as it says in John 14, 6, Christ saying, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not saying he is a way. He's saying he is the way. And we are to understand that and we live this out and proclaim it in our climate today. That, that Jesus himself is the mediator that stands between us and God and negotiates for our salvation, but also says that he who gave himself as a ransom for all. And, and what that ransom means, ransom means is what is given in exchange, like as a payment for the release of someone held captive. Basically, it is buying a slave's freedom. So Jesus is the only one who can be the perfect sacrifice of God to pay for the penalty for all of our sins for all of time. That by his death, burial, and resurrection... He purchased our freedom and salvation. So now that whoever repents of their sins and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. And that is such good news. That is such a beautiful message that, that we are to proclaim, that we are to never get over. Because this is what we are to proclaim to a watching world. This is a message we are to proclaim to a watching world that is in need of hope, that is in need of joy and peace. And it's the same message, the same gospel message that not only saved us, but it also sends us. It sends us. It says in the, uh, in the, second, in the second part of verse Six, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Uh, just what that means is Christ came at the proper time to be a witness of the Father's love and the Creator's desire to reconcile and restore all of creation back to Himself. So when we repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, His testimony becomes our testimony. What testimony means is something that serves as evidence. And so the testimony of our lives is evidence that it has been changed by the grace of God. 
and that we are to proclaim Christ, that he is the one mediator of all, that he became a ransom for all, and that anyone can come and believe in him if they confess, if they repent of their sins, confess their sins and believe on him. And it says in the last part that this gospel message, like I said, it saves us and it sends us. Because in verse 7, Paul says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And so um, God is, is no longer, let's say, appointing apostles, capital A. He's no longer doing that. But what he's doing is he still appoints and calls people. He still appoints and calls people to proclaim this gospel message to everywhere. Like it said, his desire is the evangelization of all nations. That because of the gospel, Paul was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And now God is now appointing us as believers to be witnesses of him. That when we receive the gospel message, not only do we receive salvation, but we receive the message and ministry of the gospel. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, how if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. That yes, the old has passed and the new has come. That we have been reconciled to God. And now we have received the ministry and message of reconciliation. For now we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ, that we are to go and urge other people to repent and come to believe in him. That we talk about how Christ, who he became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the beautiful grace of the gospel, that it not only saves us, but it sends us. It sends us out to go tell this to other people, to go tell other people. Uh, there, is, uh, there is this very famous quote by uh, supposedly by Francis of Assisi, where it says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. But what I would say, that is not the gospel message that we are to proclaim. Instead, it should be more like, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use a microphone, use a megaphone, use something, because we are to truly proclaim Christ. That yes, we are to pray for others and we are to live out this godly life as well. But we are also to proclaim why we live a transformed life, why we pray for other people. And what I would say uh, to, to, to truly embody this is Romans 10. Uh, Romans 10, 14 through 17, where uh, it says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from me? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That we are to proclaim Christ. That yes, we can pray for others. We are to pray for others and for their salvation. We are to live out this godly life that has been transformed by the gospel. But then it also compels us and commands us to send us out and to go proclaim the gospel to other people. That we are to proclaim Christ crucified. That that is our message. It's Christ crucified. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so what 
God is calling us as Christians. He is calling us to go proclaim this gospel message to our neighbors, to those around us. It says in Acts 17, 26 through 27, it said God knew uh, before the foundation of the earth, he knew the boundaries of everyone, just the, time, the appointed times and everything else that they might seek God, knowing that he is not too far from us. Meaning that God knew exactly where he would place us throughout time and history. He knew the geographic boundaries of where he would place us. From where we work, from where we live, to where we just interact with people on a daily basis. He knew exactly where he was placing us so that we might seek God and point others to God. So none of this during this time is a surprise to God. This pandemic and everything else is not a surprise to God. But instead, as such a time as this, how beautiful it is that God placed us in this time, at this point in history, in these places we be geographically, so that we might point others to Christ. So that we would pray for other people. That we would pray for our government officials. That during times like these, when everything just seems to be swirling around and people are worried, we can stay calm in the middle of all of these rapidly shifting landscapes. And that through it all, what we can do is we can proclaim Christ. That Christ has come to seek and to save the lost. That Christ has come to give us peace in the middle of all of this. Knowing that whatever tribulation we face, take heart that he has overcome the world that we are ambassadors for Christ, that Christ divinely placed us in these areas we are at and where we are at so that we might proclaim him. So know that the gospel saves us and the gospel sends us and just know also the gospel supplies us, that wherever he's placed us, he doesn't leave us there alone, that he's given us all that we need so that we can be a faithful witness to him during this time. And so that is what, how we are to respond to a lot of this, is that we are to go proclaim Christ in the middle of this. That people are seeking hope, and we have a hope that is beyond measure, that we can be abounding in hope because of Christ. And so my, my challenge for us, as Paul says, I urge you to pray for these people, to live out godly lives, and to proclaim Christ that I urge us as followers of Christ that we are to pray for those around us in these times, that we are to live out these godly lives, and that we are to boldly proclaim Christ in the middle of this, knowing that he is our only mediator and he is a ransom for all. How beautiful are the hands and feet of those who go and preach Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so, so much for this beautiful, beautiful message that just you desire all people to be saved and that you use human agents to be able to proclaim Christ. That you don't have to, but, but you not only save us by the gospel, but you entrust us with the gospel. So I pray that we take that to heart. I pray that you will just overwhelm our hearts with compassion for our neighbors and for those around us and pray for all people. 
that you'll overwhelm our hearts with compassion for our government officials, regardless of how we view them, regardless of, of ideologies, regardless of any of that. I pray first and foremost, we see them as people made in the image of God and people that are in need of the grace of Christ just as much as we are. I pray that you will help us live quiet and peaceful lives. I pray that you help us be able to be devoted to Christ during these times. I pray you help us to be serious and take our faith seriously, and that we live out our faith in every way, in every aspect of our faith and of our lives. And ultimately, I pray as well that you will give us boldness to proclaim this gospel message. That as Paul also wrote, that you will give us these opportunities to truly profess Christ. And not only will you give us these opportunities, but that you will give us the words to speak that will be so timely. Thank you that in your sovereignty that you knew exactly all of this was going to happen. And in that, that you have placed Christians in the middle of this time in these different areas that we can stand up and look out and we can proclaim Christ crucified in these. That we can point people to him and say, Christ Jesus has come to save sinners, of whom I am the worst of them. It is only by your grace, it is only by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can do this. So we thank you in the immaculate, precious, beautiful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.